Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. Today, we're talking with professional surfer and plant-based chef extraordinaire, Brisa Hennessy, who has qualified to represent Costa Rica as surfing makes its debut in the Olympic Games in Tokyo this summer. Hennessy was raised in the Costa Rican jungle until she was eight years old. She then moved to Hawaii and now lives on the tiny island of Nomotu in Fiji. She is a regular on the World Surf League's championship tour, where she competes against the best surfers in the world. All right, Brisa. Well, I, again, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. I know you're 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 12 hours away from me, and it, this is uh, we're at opposite ends of the day right now. It's tomorrow for you, which is kind of fun. <laughs> I'm just going to start right at the beginning here. You were born in Costa Rica. You went to high school on Oahu. Spent your summers in Fiji, and your parents now manage a small resort in Fiji. These are all surfing hotbeds. How did you get your start surfing? Yeah, so I was born off the grid in Costa Rica in a little, not even a town, I would say. There was probably around 20 houses in total in Matapalo, and we lived completely in the jungle, and my parents ran a surf school there. And so it kind of always was a part of my life. I was born in the in the ocean. And, you know, every day was a nonstop adventure of just being in nature. So it definitely gave me a, a different perspective on life and living. And um, I think right from that moment, I knew um, I wanted to do something in the ocean because it gave me so much joy. Do you ever remember not being a surfer? No, I don't think I could answer that. Probably when I was in my mom's belly, but then also I was surrounded by somewhat water. So I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> don't, I don't think I was never not in the water or ocean. So no, I can't remember. Were you good at surfing right from the get-go? No, I don't think I was that good actually at all. I mean, it it definitely came naturally to me of just enjoyment and being out there with my parents, but I never, it wasn't something like I was, just stellar at from the beginning. I think when I moved to Hawaii, I really wanted to work on my surfing and, and progress there. But I, in the beginning, I just did it for the love of it and um, just being with my friends and my family. But it became something that you loved enough that you wanted to get better at it. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Did you play other sports when you were a kid? I did. I actually played volleyball for a little bit. I was not very good. And <laughs> I was the shortest one by far, which is um, hilarious. But I think it was just so great to to get that different perspective of working as a team and really getting to um, experience that since, as you know, serving is a very individual, pretty selfish sport in some ways. So I was really lucky to actually have that experience to um, play with other teammates and yeah, work as work as a team. When did you start competing in surfing? I started competing around 10 years old, I believe. I, I remember it pretty clearly because my uncle had, he was a ex-professional surfer and I went into his house and I think being a 
whatever, nine or 10 year, 10 year old, I was very drawn to the trophies and the shiny objects. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, maybe I should try this. <laughs> but no, I, I think just from that, I just fell in love more with just the whole competition aspect of it and the challenge of that. And yeah, I wasn't very good in the beginning either, but I learned a lot. And I think as the years progressed, I met some incredible people and, and support crew. And that's kind of how it evolved. Was your first competition in Hawaii? It was, yes. It was at Holly Eva on the North Shore. And then I think my second one was at Kalama Beach Park, which was Shore Break Classic. And that was kind of like my home break. So, yeah. And you didn't do well in those first two? Not at all. I was going <laughs> straight and I was looking up to all the incredible girls that I was competing against. And I was like, wow, like, this is amazing. Like they're all sponsored and they're doing turns. And yeah, it was, it was so crazy. Like I literally remember that moment of just sitting on the beach and just being in awe of these incredible women and how I needed to work harder. And, but also just really relishing that, you know, to be in that space of looking up to people and, and being okay with yourself and knowing that you need to grow too. And it takes time. I think it was cool. I was like, gosh, this is amazing. Hopefully I can get there one day. Was there a time when you realized that you were getting there? I don't think there was really a time that I realized I was getting there. I feel like I, I still feel that. I still feel like it's just this ongoing process of, you know, self-discovery as a surfer, you know, as a person. And I mean, obviously there's those little, those little and big moments that it makes you grateful. It makes you know how hard you worked and you're deserving of that moment, but it's an ongoing journey of, yeah, I think just of self-discovery as a surfer and a person. You, you really spent a lot of time in places where you can surf all year round. Did you have any kind of off season or, or was it something you did every day? Yeah, it's interesting because surfing is pretty much all year round, especially when you're doing both tours I'm doing the CT, which is the WSL championship tour. And then I'm also doing the qualifying series just to back myself up so I can requalify for next year. And so that's pretty much all year. And it's so crazy because your job and your love is the ocean and surfing. And so when, when do you find that balance when you're competing nonstop? And so I think that's one thing I'm, I'm trying to focus on is sustainability And, you know, finding those little sessions that I have with my mom longboarding or, or just with my dad and kind of letting go because it's important to still find the love of it and the joy of it from what you got in the beginning. How many competitions would you say you do a month? It vaguely depends, but maybe two-ish, two or three. Yeah. And and this includes a lot of travel, I'm assuming. A lot of travel. Um, Yes, I pretty much live out of my suitcase. We call each other like the houseless nomads and that's our life. It's the the next place. It's the next contest, the next Airbnb. Um, It's definitely a journey. How much time would you say you spend in the water each week? Or if it's easier to look at it daily, like are you surfing every day? Yes, definitely try to get in the water every day and I would maybe surf maybe two to three hours a day and sometimes shorter. I'm trying to, like I said, just work on sustainability and maybe keeping my sessions where 
it's more like my job, a lot more condensed and intense and shorter. So yeah. I, I was going to ask that for folks. I mean, I have surfed, but I've never surfed to compete and I have no idea what a surfing like training session would look like. So when you paddle out, do you, I mean, do you spend extra time paddling to build up your upper body? Are you only concerned with catching and riding waves and practicing turns? What do those sessions usually look like? Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I feel like, you know, we don't actually go into the ocean just to paddle, which I feel like paddling is something that's so overlooked because it's so obvious as a surfer, like it's that key ingredient that we all need to obviously catch a wave to get mm-hmm. back to win the priority. Um, and I actually have been working on it with my coach recently. We went to a pool in Australia and we did some intense just paddling. And it was really great because just getting that 1%, it's all about those one percenters in surfing that could actually bring you to the top. And paddling is definitely one of those. But I definitely have different goals when I go out to a session. Like you said, I work on turns or you know work on my bottom turn or... But yeah, paddling is something that I think I do away from the fact of turning and everything. I mean, you're obviously paddling because you have to do it to catch the waves. You just might not be focusing on it as a priority. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. What do you do to warm up for a surf session? So my warm up normally looks like I think I do a lot, a lot of like yoga movements and yeah, overall just stretches that focus on mobility and I think fast twitch movements. I think it's important to start your body off slow and then start going a little bit more faster since, you know, when you're in the ocean, you know, everything's so quick, you need to be on your game. And I think it's just, I start with more yoga and then more like maybe some jumping or that sort of stuff. About how long would you say you warm up for? I keep it relatively short, maybe 10 to 15 minutes. So we were talking about paddling and how it's something that's somewhat overlooked. Surfers obviously need some upper body strength to paddle, to push up. How do you train that out of the water? My amazing trainer, Ingrid Seipel, we've been working a lot on um, lower and upper body eccentric and concentric movements, and as well as just movements that are on rotating too. So we're also incorporating weight. And I think just getting in those positions that sometimes feel uncomfortable, you know, as a surfer, we are always moving our bodies in so many different ways. And um, I think it's just super important to, to have all the muscles moving and contracting and most importantly, strong. And so I think, yeah, mobility and eccentric and concentric movements. I think that people don't realize like once you're up on a wave, you're basically holding a squat on a really bumpy road that you have to stabilize with your core. And if you fall, you might get really hurt. Like that's something that people overlook that muscular endurance. If your quads give out, you might be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. That's such a crazy way to put it. Cause I feel like, yeah, it's just for us, I feel like it's almost riding a bike, right? Mm-hmm. We don't even think about it when we stand yeah. up that we're going to hold, be holding a squat, but probably the next wave I'm going to catch, I'm going to be thinking about holding the squat and oh, fall no. Oh no, <laughs> I'm oh no. I'm kidding. But no, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I think um, I've always had big thighs and I've been lucky and I need to embrace my big thighs. That's very important. But I think it all just comes down to just maintaining 
those lower body movements. Um, I think weights is something that's super important for me and just holding that squat with a, a pretty substantial amount of weight is, is something that's key that I've been working on. So that like, you'll take a dumbbell, hold it in front of your chest and just stay down there for a minute or. Yeah. And then my, my coach will like sometimes push me or I'm like moving side to side and kind of working my core as well, but just getting in those uncomfortable situations with, um, with the weights is, is key. How often do you work with your trainer? I would say I'd work with her maybe once or twice a week. It kind of just depends on my schedule and her schedule. And if I'm competing or not, I, I don't, really train that much before a competition or during a competition because I don't want to be sore. I'm obviously mm-hmm. surfing so much, but I did have hotel quarantine in Australia and I trained with her every single day, which was a lot, but it was so great. <laughs> do you do workouts on your own when you're not with your trainer? I do. Yes. I have a workout buddy, my mom, and um, we normally either do the program that my trainer does or just do a fun little like Zumba workout just to get the body moving. Cause I just feel like just getting those endorphins and yeah, moving around is, is something that actually really benefits my surfing. Do you do any kind of endurance training given that some of the surf sessions are two, three hours? Yeah, I think endurance training is super important. I've been actually working on running a lot. I feel like that really helps with just building up my, my breathing and my heart. And it's something that I've, I've had a challenge with. Like I remember just running a mile and my heartbeat was going crazy and, you know, I couldn't breathe very well, but um, now I can, I can last a pretty long time. And it, it's totally different to, to paddling, obviously you're using mostly your legs, but I think just getting in those situations where you are doing cardio for a really long time and being okay with it, you know, being in a heat, you can paddle for a super long time and you could be doing paddle battles and it could just be all types of just ups and downs of endurance training. And so one thing I also incorporate is high intensity interval training as well, just to see how my body adapts when my, my heartbeat is, is racing. And you do the, the hit training, you do that with things like jump squats and burpees, like more explosive movements. Yeah. I normally do like a 15 minute workout where I pick the sort of exercises, like you were saying burpees. Um, and I just do them for 30 seconds on and then 50 seconds off, 30 seconds on 15 seconds off. And yeah, definitely dying at the end of those. (laughs) That's funny. You're in some beautiful places. Do you do any trail running? Yeah, that's probably my favorite part. That's a really good excuse to go running and explore the place that I'm in. Right now we're in Rottnest Island and I've been running around the island and just getting to see the views and really experiencing nature. I think it's really grounding to me. I really fell in love with running, I think, um, this trip. That's really cool. Most of us spend our lives on our computers and driving in cars and we're all with our spines rounded forward. But surfers, you lie on your stomach with your head raised up and your spine arched backwards, which is totally opposite what most of us do in our normal life, but it also causes a strain of its own. Is that something you have to think about? Yeah, that's interesting. Now you will. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Now I'm going to be falling off my squats. My back's going to give out. Oh no. (laughs) No, no. I don't really think about that, but I think while we're on land, we do probably hunch as well. And so I think it's actually a good thing to kind of get in the water and having that different 
resistance, I feel like it hopefully balances us out. I'm pretty, I think it would. (laughs) It's funny because I used to, I was an ocean lifeguard for a long time, did a lot of ocean swimming where you have to pull your head out of the water. And sometimes at the end of a long day on my computer, I'm like, I need to go for a swim, but I'm like in New Jersey and it's not an option. Oh no. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, um, I was reading and talking with Chloe. Your mother was a chef at an eco lodge in Costa Rica. At what age did you start to take an interest in cooking? Yeah, my whole life. I come from a big family of foodies and cooks. And yeah, I remember clear as day, just barging into the Laparillos kitchen in Costa Rica. My mom was in there and I'd be like, sandia, por favor, which is watermelon. But I would literally just go in there and eat whatever I wanted. And just to experience just being in this environment where they're creating different things. And I loved it. I remember also just ordering like the most crazy extravagant things when I was like three years old, like ordering like a cucumber soup and like a crazy bruschetta salad or something. But I definitely had a very sophisticated palate from a very young age. But I think just watching my mom and being surrounded by my grandmas and my family, it just gave me so much joy to see that they could cook for people and share their love for people in that way. And I think that's why I love it so much is I can make someone's day by, you know, giving them some food that I created and and also making it healthy. I think that's the new level that I'm trying to reach is giving them food, but also making it healthy. How long have you been doing the fully plant-based diet? Uh, I think it's been around a year now. I started at the beginning of the pandemic in Nemotu and we just started it because we just wanted to live a more sustainable lifestyle and we felt better than ever. It was almost like an experiment to see how our bodies would adapt and change and how I would feel as an athlete. And I can honestly say that I just feel stronger. I just feel clear mentally and my mom feels the same way. And yeah, I think just the results, we're just so happy with them. And I think it's all in moderation and how your body feels. And I think that's just super important. When you say we, was it just you and your mom? Did your dad do it too? My dad did it too, but he definitely randomly ate some fish on the side, <laughs> but he was pretty much plant-based besides the fishing. Part. I feel like when you're an, on an island in Fiji with all that fresh seafood around, it would be pretty enticing to slice up a piece of tuna. I <laughs> uh, know. I know. Yeah. He actually ended up getting Zigatera too during that time which is this crazy deadly disease from fish. Oh my God. Because he ate too much. And we would have gotten it if we were eating fish at the time. So he almost died. It was a crazy story. But anyways, he had to go fully plant-based then after that. And it was pretty, it was pretty funny. But um, yeah, it was really cool just having it as a family and experimenting. And he loved it too. And I think he had amazing results from it as well. So you spent much of the pandemic on the island in Fiji with your parents. You started this YouTube channel, Breezy Cooking by Brisa Hennessy. I watched some of your videos. I saw the dark chocolate truffles and the vegan pizza and the gnocchi and the crispy (laughs) cauliflower, which I'm totally trying soon. What motivated you to do the YouTube channel? 
first of all, I had quite a bit of time on the island and quite a bit of time in the kitchen. Like if I wasn't in the ocean, I was in the kitchen with my mom and we were cooking every meal for everyone on the island. So I was like, you know, it would be pretty cool. I don't think anyone's going to watch it. But for me, I think it's a great project just to share some recipes to anybody that wants to see it. But it's something that I wanted to focus on. I wanted to educate myself on eating and also cooking. And I think it's something that I want to do more in the future. I love to cook. And hopefully if I could share some recipes that are easy for people, that's my ultimate goal. What were your favorite recipes that came out of all of that experimentation? I think the cauliflower one. If any time that um, we meet in person, I'll definitely make you the crispy cauliflower. It's pretty messed up. I actually served it to my dad and he didn't even want to eat the fish because the cauliflower was that good. I just have to say. For people listening (laughs) to this, you have to go on her YouTube channel and check out this cauliflower. It's like dredged. It's got some almond milk and there's almonds crushed up on the top of it. And it's tossed in this spicy sauce. And it looks like a really delicious chicken wing that isn't a chicken wing. It looks delicious. So yeah. (laughs) It's it's Um, pretty amazing. I do say so myself. (laughs) you're, You're also taking a holistic nutrition course now. Is that correct? I am. Yeah. I've been taking it on and off because I just want to be fully focused on it. So I think I've been slowly starting to get into it after this contest, but yeah, it's been incredible to hopefully just bring that into my cooking. Because like I said, I want to feed people, but I want to feed people the right things that are going to make their body happy and their souls happy. But finding that combination has been really, really rewarding to me and finding that food is fuel, food is health. And food is something that can really change our lives. And I think that we take it for granted. So it's been an amazing journey. Do you find now that you have some education on the subject that other athletes come to you for nutrition advice? Sometimes I feel like I'm definitely not super far away from being certified, but if they want to talk to me about it, I am so down to talk about food and talk about nutrition. And actually my coach, I've been really trying to get him to eat more greens. That's been my ultimate goal. And I also gave him a little like jar of turmeric powder because turmeric is one of like the most antioxidant foods in the world. And it's something that we should all take super highly recommendable. And so I've been like, Micro, have you been taking your turmeric today? So he's supposed to be taking his turmeric every single day just just to help him. But I've been loving all the different things that I've been learning and growing, I think, as hopefully being a nutritionist in the future. As an athlete, it's obviously pretty important to make sure that you get enough protein into your meals. How do you do that as a plant-based person? Yeah, it was so interesting because... Before I was plant-based, I was on a heavy macro diet. And I remember thinking that protein was key and it was the only thing that mattered. And I would literally just be consuming protein just to fit my macros in, Mm -hmm. just to hit my macros. And I actually, funny story, I remember eating so much egg whites that I ended up being allergic to egg whites. And it was just like such an awakening experience for me because I wasn't listening to my body. I was totally not listening to my intuition, not focusing on the whole plant-based foods that I love. I mean, I love rice and beans. I love tofu and 
those are the things that make me happy. And those are the things that my body wanted. So I think it's just so important to really like dig in and listen to your intuition because your body honestly knows best. Do you use any supplements at all? I've been using the tree protein powder, which has been my favorite at the moment. And I've been taking some B12. I think that's, that's about it. I've been really trying to just focus getting all my vitamins and minerals from the plants I eat. Is it, how is it when you travel? Is it hard to maintain the healthy diet when you're on the road? Yeah. Yes. No. My mom's been really good at always making sure we have a kitchen. That's like always key. So we always cook at home normally, which is really important to us. But when we don't have a kitchen, like now the secret is bringing your own miso soup packets. We have like these miso soup packets that have dehydrated vegetables in them. And we're like living off them right now, actually. And just even thinking about miso soup, I think I'll have to go a couple months without it because I've been eating so much miso soup. But miso soup is key. If you're traveling anywhere, it's literally been the biggest lifesaver. It's funny. I was going to ask you if you bring your own snacks. I'm the weirdo who has a jar of peanut butter in her purse. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. I'm totally doing that too. (laughs) It like doesn't melt. It's like in its own package. I have my little spatula spoon. It's like fantastic. And I, sometimes I use those little packets, but it's hard to get it all out. So it's just easier to have the jar. That is such a good tip. I'm using that too. You know, I definitely have, I have soy sauce in my purse and what else do I have? I always have a bar, but my suitcase is normally filled with mostly snacks than clothes. So just to give you a little insight on that. (laughs) What, What are your other snacks that you bring with you? What else do I bring? I'm really love rice cakes right now. I feel like you can put peanut butter on them, avocado. And then I love almond butter. What else do I take? I take seaweed packets, so like nori, and then popcorn. And then I think for preheat fuel, I normally have a date with two almonds in it. And that's like my go-to. I was going to ask you if you have a particular pre-competition meal that you always have. It kind of varies at the moment, but I've been really liking cauliflower oats, which is I use rice cauliflower and then I boil it, make it soft and then add my oats and sounds weird, but it's pretty amazing. I've been obsessed with it, but I kind of make it my own. I kind of make it carrot cake style and I add raisins and cinnamon and apples and yeah, I don't know. It just always does the job. So I've been really liking my cauliflower oats. That sounds delicious, actually. Do you, what are your uh, surfing goals for this season, Brisa? Gosh, it's it's such a different year. And I think my goals have changed in a lot of ways. I've had a pretty hard start to the year and a bunch of losses. But I think just at the moment, I just, I really want to have the opportunity to just, to just surf. And I think just really take the opportunities that are given to me and really make the most out of it. You know, obviously I, I want to win and everything, but I think the whole journey of finding myself as a surfer and really performing at my best is the top of the list. Is there anything in particular you're trying to improve or work on? I think for me, it's, it's been a lot of my mental side that I've been wanting to work on. I definitely have been focusing a lot on just my surfing side with my coach, but I think 
the whole mental aspect is something that's overlooked. And I've been really trying to dig deep on, you know, what makes me motivated? What's my drive? And what's the mentality I'm in to perform at my best? When you go out and pedal out into super huge waves, are you, is there any part of you that is like the person on the beach that says, holy moly, that's an enormous wave? Or are you just, nope, let's go get it? I think it's a little both. (laughs) When I get in the water, I definitely have to leave that scared person kind of behind (laughs) because you are completely invested and you're in it. But I think it's important to have that emotion of fear. It's something that we have as humans and we do need to embrace it and know that it's okay. It's okay to be scared. It's just that we can't let that consume us. I think it probably for you guys is also part of a healthy respect for the ocean. Yeah, definitely. The ocean is one of the most humbling things. I think it always puts me in my place, no matter how big or small. And it always makes me feel small, but also loved at the same time. It's just this combination of of different things. I connect so much with the ocean because it has so many different emotions. It's angry and it can be windy and crazy, but it always goes back to being still. I think that's the the superpower we have as humans. That's a super cool way to think about it. I remember I'm not as a great surfer, but I'm a scuba diver and a swimmer. And I was a lifeguard for a long time. And you're in the ocean in New Jersey or in Australia or, you know, wherever you are in the world and the water's a different color and it looks different and it's calm or the waves are big, but you're sort of like, it's all connected. And if my mom has her toes in the water in New Jersey and I'm in California, she's still kind of touching me and it's just kind of cool. No, actually, I've never thought of it like that. I always thought about like we're under the same moon. But yeah, we all are. We're all touching the same ocean, aren't we? That's that's kind of cool. How excited are you to represent Costa Rica in Tokyo? Oh, I'm so excited. Like I mentioned, I, I found my love for surfing in the ocean in Costa Rica. And it was such a big part of my life and how I see the world and the surfer and person I am today. And so to get the opportunity to represent a place that means so much to me is just gives me goosebumps because I'm um, pretty cool to be able to rep- represent something bigger than yourself. Have you surfed at that break before where it's going to be in Tokyo? I surfed there once for a QS, but I haven't been there for a really long time. But yeah, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a challenge in, in different ways, but a, a really amazing opportunity. So yeah, I can't wait. What, what does it mean to you just to have surfing in the Olympics and on that real world big stage? It means everything. I think just for surfing in general, it's putting surfing out into the world for the first time to so many different countries that have maybe never seen it or experienced it. And I think my biggest goal and what makes me so, so excited is that a little girl from across the world can tune in and watch it and be hopefully inspired to just even get in the ocean. And I think if that ripple effect happens, that would mean the world. You've been all over now. Do you have favorite surf breaks? Yeah, I think I definitely have a few. I think my favorite place in Fiji is swimming pools, which is like this, you'll have to come over and surf it yourself. I think you would love it, but it's a beautiful like right reef break and it's crystal clear water. It's just so forgiving and so fun. And I think I also love Lakey Peak in Indonesia. It's also one of my favorites. Yeah, I think every surf break that I've surfed is so unique and different and it has its own incredible qualities that I admire. 
That's really cool. Do you have to practice specifically for the kind of break that you're going to in each competition? Yeah, definitely. But surfing is so challenging where no matter how alike that wave is or you're surfing that exact wave or the contest is, it's not exactly the most perfect practice that you're going to get in a heat. I think about any other sport. And when you show up to the, I don't know, the basketball court, the basketball court's not going to move. The hoop's not going to move. It's always defined and, and surfing's not like that. No matter how perfect you try to get it or perfectly you try to time it, it's always going to be evolving, but that's definitely the goal. You're going to try to want to surf the same type of waves that you're going to and try the same turns that you would probably do in the contest. That's, I guess that's what makes surfing so unique and challenging and beautiful in its own way. For those people who don't know much about surfing contests might be listening to this. How competitive is it being in a, in a lineup, in a comp with everybody gunning for the best waves? What's the tactic? How do you get the waves you want? It's a crazy vibe just because you're not necessarily battling with that person. It's almost like the biggest battle is within yourself and within the ocean, if you can really raise, rise up to the challenge of listening to your instincts and being confident in yourself. It's a lot of different factors and a lot of different variables. But in the end, I think the biggest competitor is honestly within yourself. That's really cool. It's been 40 minutes and I appreciate that very much. I thank you so much for joining me from half a world away. And I wish you all the best in this competition and Tokyo and the rest of your season. Thank you so much. And we're only an ocean away. We are. <laughs> if I just have to get my butt to the beach, I've been working too much. Oh, well, I hope you get to the beach. And yeah, hopefully we'll meet in the water sometime soon. Thanks so much to Brisa for joining us today and be sure to follow along as she competes in surfing's debut at the Tokyo Olympics in July and then sets her sights on the Rip Curl World Surf League finals at Lower Trestles in San Clemente, one of the crown jewels of California surf breaks this September. Next time on Food of the Gods, we'll talk with CrossFit legend Jason Kalipa. Their 35-year-old made eight appearances in the CrossFit Games, topping the podium as the fittest man on earth in 2008. But he believes that being a competitor is a lifestyle and that everyone has it in them. Until then, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.